Carol, did you know that dried beans are just mature green beans? Uh, yes. Why do you ask? Because I was watching From the Source, which is a show on Discovery Plus, and the chef, Kate Button, went to visit Rancho Gordo Beans, you know, his garden. Right. And she didn't realize this. He gave her an immature green bean and a bean pod that was mature. And the wonder on her face was just like unbelievable. So I thought maybe we should discuss that really quickly because if a chef doesn't know, maybe someone in our audience doesn't know. That could be because the other thing we should make clear is not all beans make good green beans. Right. And not all green beans make good dried beans. Right. And some green beans make good shelly beans. This is a whole topic, D. A whole topic. We're going to have to do it another time. <laughs> well, you better welcome us to this to, to today's show. I will. I will. And now, like, there's the teaser. Oh, my God. These girls are going to talk about beans in a future episode. I've definitely got to subscribe to this podcast. Because nothing more fascinating. <laughs> welcome to the Garden Angelus, where we talk about flowers, veggies, and all the best dirt. I'm Carol <laughs> Michael from Indianapolis, Indiana, where I have a suburban garden measured in square feet. It's about a third of an acre. And some of those are planted in green beans. <laughs> Mine too. And I'm Dean Ash from Guthrie, Oklahoma, where I garden on several acres out in the country, a very small portion of which is planted in green beans. We call ourselves Garden Angelists because we are evangelists for gardening. We love gardening and we want others to love it too. We might become beanologists, beanangelists. Go ahead, D. Finish this <laughs> off. We're crazy now. Yes, we do. And we aren't afraid to spill the beans and tell all of our gardening secrets, the good, the bad, and even the ugly. But that's enough of who, what, when, where, and beans. Let's move on to this week's episode. Yeah, now we need to straighten up, D, or people are going to think, what time do they record that? And do they drink beforehand and during? And the answer is, we do not drink. It's 11 o'clock in the morning here. It's 10 o'clock in Oklahoma. And so let's just do some garden updates. Shall I go first while you collect yourself, D? Yes. So it is summertime in the garden. Having a lovely rain shower right now. But there are tomatoes and squash and cucumbers and green beans and peppers. I have weeded and I have weeded some more. I did clear out all the pep the onions that had finished growing before the rain came yesterday. Rain came yesterday. Listen to me. Because uh, I didn't want them to get all soggy and half of them were rotting out there anyway. I have mowed and trimmed the yard just really nice. I fertilized my containers. Maybe for the last time this season, we'll see. But, you know, it's like summertime in the garden. What you doing, D? So, so we should explain. In your world, summertime in the garden is harvest time. In my world, when it gets hot, like it's been here for three weeks, the tomatoes are basically done. I pulled all my onions. I trimmed up all my garlic after I pulled it and let it dry out in the garage. Um, I harvested my potatoes. I have only thing I have growing right now that is doing anything are the peppers. Oh, and the green beans. I do have some green beans and they're finally starting to take off. I've had a terrible year for green beans. And part of it is because the grasshoppers, they've driven me insane this year. So when a far drive, was it? Oh, no. 
that was just not nice. <laughs> I, whenever, I, never mind. I'm, I'm sorry. You, you should keep going on. So it just thundered here and scared me um, because I didn't expect it because the thunderstorm is supposed to be through. We have gotten rain and the weather's gotten better. So I'm actually going to trim my indeterminate tomato vines, which aren't really vines. I'm going to trim them and uh, see if I can get some more tomatoes out of them. We'll see. Then that all that stuff I just said was not my update. What What, what is your update, D? <laughs> My update is I ordered some very challenging seeds from Florette because one does when it's so hot. You, you can't go, girl. Get out there. And I think I got smug because my sweet peas did so well this year. I ordered more sweet peas. I ordered four kinds of poppies. Now, my Shirley poppies did fine last this spring. So I guess I'm hopeful there'll be more. But I also ordered bread poppies. And I also ordered purple Dara again. Why? I don't know. I just really want that to grow here. And I don't know if it ever will. And I'm going to try to winter sow it. So I'm going to try to winter sow several things. You, that is definitely a good idea. I would, I would definitely try to winter sow all of the poppies too. Yeah. What about the, oh, I didn't mention this yet. Let's see. Nigella. I think I'll winter sow the Nigella too. I'm going to winter sow some stuff and um, the Verbena Bonariensis variety vanity that All America Selection sent me out by my mailbox. Those winter sown things, they're so pretty. And people ask me, what are those, Carol, with the little butterflies on them? Anyway, what yeah, else did you my do? Verbena, we should both grow a lot of Verbena Bonariensis because it we really should. is pretty and it does really well. Mine's great this year. Um, I weeded it up for pasture around the fence row and needed to be done. And I wrote a blog post about what I've been doing in the garden. And basically I'm just weeding and trying to keep things alive. But today we got a little rain. Yesterday we got a little rain. Temperatures have gone down, but I'm really tired of the heat and I'm tired of summer and I'm tired of the locusts. Can we just talk about locusts for a second? Why did God make those? Why? What's the point? Um, they make a beautiful sound at night, that whirring sound that reminds children that it's time for back to school, although with the screwed up school calendar they have now. But that was always the reminder that school time was coming. That's why God made locusts. Maybe in Indiana. Here, here they just bump into you everywhere. Like I'll be walking by a tree and all of a sudden one of them will dart out because they're blind. Is what I've been told. Well, I I see them, their little carcasses, like sticking to a tree or down on the sidewalk. And so I see their little, where they've molted out of them, not because they've died. They've molted out of that carcass. Yeah. Yes. And I see those too. But right now they just keep flying around. I don't like them. I don't like the wasps this time of year because they want to sting you because they're crazy. And I don't like the grasshoppers. I'm done for the summer. Now, let's move on. I am not done for the summer. Here in paradise, um, it's not yeah. been the buggiest year. And in fact, I'm probably going to jink myself. I, I've had some chigger bites, but I always get chigger bites. In fact, when Me a friend too. came to visit a couple of weeks ago, I'm like, well, we can go back here, but we go and get chigger bites. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, you know, you you live in a, but I think you live because you're out in the country and I think the way you've gardened and you're reduced to no use of pesticides it really shows a difference here my third of an acre where i'm not using pesticides i mean neighbors can be using pesticides 
And mm-hmm. so I I still see my fair share of butterflies and uh, bees and, and locusts. I get some locusts, but I don't like the wasps. I don't care who you are. They're, I'm I don't like them one. either. They're mean this time they're of not. year. And I know why. It's because their brood is starting to emerge. I mean, they're trying to protect their homes and their children, but good grief. But I don't want to mess with their children. The, it's time for our new segment. Plain favorites. And D, I saw your Instagram post. I know what your favorite is right this week. It's my red rocket crepe myrtles. They've never been more beautiful than this year. They are gorgeous. Mm-hmm. They look really good. I don't have crepe myrtle scale, which is a big problem in Oklahoma City um, and in Norman. I just don't have it yet. Knock on wood. I won't get it. Um, that's another good thing about living way out in the country is sometimes I don't get stuff other people get. Anyway, yeah, that's important. They're big, beautiful, cherry red. Go go watch my Instagram video. They're a Dr. Carl Whitcomb selection. And I once interviewed Dr. Whitcomb and have talked to him many times over the years. He's a wonderful guy and he developed a lot of really great plants. But he also was a teacher at OSU. Very nice. So my favorite is a flower that would certainly clash with Red Rocket. And that is my double shot orange bicolor snapdragons, which I think we've talked about a few times. We got seeds from All America Selections. Man, those babies, I put them in the same container as the Flama Orange Celosia, kind of along the edge. But that's pretty. And they've just been blooming all summer. And normally snapdragons peter out when it gets hot, but these have kept going. Um, no deadheading, hardly any attention. Finally, out of respect for them, I did do some deadheading and kind of cleaning them up. But they are so pretty, and it's such a a pretty open flower. It I is, it. and it's a very soft orange. It's beautiful. It is. I it grew is. them, too. It I grew is. them and some purple ones. And the purple was a light, light purple. And the light purple with that light orange was really pretty. I think mine are all done and have gone to seed. But I think it would be fun to put them at a front of a border. Where, where they got some shade during the day, they would need here. They would definitely need that. But great plants have nothing but nice things to say about them. Exactly. All right. I'm going to do a quote so we can talk about our flower topic. You can drive out nature with a pitchfork, but she keeps coming back. And that is by Horace. So I agree with that because you know what? Nature got burned up here and she's roared back in a big way. So um. Not all of it good, but, you know, nature's going to put a weed in a blank spot. Uh, Nature abhors a vacuum. They do. So we're going to talk today about Jimmy Blake at Huntington Brook Gardens. Uh, Sherry, Sherry, she goes by Sherry Boberry on Instagram. And Sherry's been in my garden. She lives in Texas. She's a big rose person. She listens to our podcast every week. Super sweet. Um, part of the Denton County Master Gardeners. She sent me Jimmy Blake's Instagram because I wrote that post early in the season about this being the year of the salvia in my garden. And Jimmy did, I don't know how many videos, it was a series on salvias. Now, let's just say Jimmy, who's a guy, is in England. He's in the UK. But They like salvias too, and they grow quite a few of them. And especially since their weather has been warmer, although they've gotten a lot of rain this summer in various parts of the UK from what I've read, 
he did this whole wonderful series and there are some of them that they can get that we can't get naturally. And you asked me which salvias would I want to grow? And one of them was Lake Garda. Yes. And I just want to say hunting Brook Gardens is in Ireland. Oh, I'm sorry. It's in Ireland. I'm, I apologize. I guess Ireland is part of the UK, but I apologize. Um, anyway, Huntington Brook Gardens. Yeah, that's right. He is in the UK. I forgot he was Irish. Hunting, hunting Brook, hunting Brook. Well, why do we have Huntington on our notes? I didn't write that D. <laughs> oh, Let's, so it's my fault. But anyway, oh, well. so you came up with this Salvia Lake Garda. Yes. And uh, so I looked up the Lake Garda and it's part of a Salgoon series from Hilverda Flores. Yes. And they all are named Lake something. And they're all beautiful. They are. And I think they're named after, oh, you're right, Huntingbrook. I don't know why we have that in there. Okay. So <clears throat> interestingly, that one has different calyxes than it has the actual blooms. The colors are different, which is why. I was so interested in it. Yeah, that they're very interesting. And then you go to their page, and we will link to this Hilverda florist to see these Salgoon salvias. Mm -hmm. And when you, these are all going to be grown as annuals in our gardens, by the way, people. Annuals, annuals, annuals. Yeah, these salvias. But, oh my gosh, they are gorgeous. And there are so many of them. And I'm looking for Lake Garda. That's a beautiful pink. Yeah, it's got pink and it has, I'm looking at their actual, what they say about it. They don't say anything about it. It looks like the calyxes are orange and then the blooms are pink. And that's what makes it interesting. And it is oh, yeah. a, a very, oh, so they say cherry pink. I don't know if I yes. would call that cherry pink. It is a compact variety, um, which means it's going to grow short. We'll probably eventually get these in the U.S., but I don't think they're for sale right now, this particular series. Okay, let's move on to some that are, are for sale then. Okay. So the other one you said was Love and Wishes. Mm -hmm. I looked that up. That's part um, of the Wishes series. And I think those came originally out of Australia. And um, the first one was Wendy's Wish. And right? uh, the sale of all of the Wishes series, because I've grown a bunch of them, the sale of those goes to, um, or at least it did go to Make-A-Wish Australia campaign. Oh, very nice. Yeah. What I like is Wendy's Wish. I remember. Love, love, love. It had to have been 2018. And I, I went, we went to the Garden Bloggers Fling in Austin. But I went to Houston first and met up with our friends, Cindy and Leslie. Yes. And we went to one of Cindy's favorite little garden centers. And I'm texting you because you're driving down from Oklahoma. And I said, hey, they have Wendy's Wish. And you're like, get three. Right. Because at the time, you could not even get them here. Now you can get Wendy's Wish um, various places and sometimes locally. Um, but here's the reason it isn't sold as much in your part of the world, in my part of the world. Almost all of this group of salvias, they bloom late in the season. And so yeah. they're not in bloom when salvias, it's really hard to bring them into bloom fast enough to um, have them in full bloom when they're for sale. And as you know, people don't always buy stuff if it's not in bloom. But I'm just telling you right now, if you see a wish type salvia for sale anywhere, 
grab that sucker up. And they're now part of the Southern Living Plant Collection, which is I great. I see that. I'm looking at the website. Yeah. The Love and Wishes. It's like a dark purple. Uh, a dark purple. It's just really, really And the calyxes pretty. are really dark. And then the bloom is slightly different. So you get that two-tone effect, which is really cool. Right. I'm actually growing Wishes and Kisses or Kisses and Wishes. I don't know which way it's said, but I'm growing that one this year. I have to say it has not thrived in my garden. It may be getting a little too much shade from surrounding plants. We'll see. I'm also growing mm, something plum, which I fell in love with on uh, UK on the Gardener's World deal. Mm-hmm. Yes. Also not performing well in my garden. Should, but they just, it is so far isn't. so. Anyway, you also gave a shout out for Strawberry Lake, which is one of those Salgoon series. Yeah, I want those, but we can't get them yet. And then you brought a shout out for Skyscraper Pink, which comes from Selecta. And I haven't grown Skyscraper Pink. So I went out this morning between raindrops and it is big and gorgeous. And I took a picture of it and I'll I'll put it on our newsletter this week or okay. you'll put it on our newsletter this week. Um, it's big. Lots of blooms on it. Hummingbirds are loving it. I looked up the skyscraper series and they have an orange and a dark purple as well. I've grown so the like, oh, dark orange, purple. Dark purple. Anyway, it's, it's been very good and it's the best of, and I I have three different salvias. I have one that's a real dark blue and it's it's okay and might be suffering from my lack of deadheading it, but skyscraper, skyscraper pink. Excellent. Yeah, I need to do a post to the blog about how all of my um, salvias have done this year, the ones that I bought, because I've planted a lot of them. But I've grown skyscraper purple because I once found it under the sun, just in a little green pot. And because I looked it up, I thought, you know, I'll give this a try. It was fabulous. It worked great, but I've never seen it since. Yes. Do a follow-up post, because you did a post in the spring about how you've declared a year of salvia in your garden. So. So we have learned a couple of things, Dee. I made notes here. I see that. So we've learned that the wishes, the lakes, and the skyscraper, they're all series of salvias, annual, annual to us. And so I made up a sentence so you can remember whether it's a good salvia or not. I sat by a lake near a skyscraper and wished for more salvias. So when you see a salvia, you'll say, I sat by a lake near a skyscraper and wish for more salvias. So if it's like skyscraper, sky, skyscraper or wishes, buy it. Okay, thanks. You're welcome. You're such a helper, you are. You're welcome. <laughs> okay, moving on to the next quote. However high a bird must soar, it seeks its food on earth. It's a Danish proverb. And we're going to talk about three vegetables that we would grow in our fall gardens if we get off our lazy buns and do it. And I am definitely going to do it. I've just, I'm, I've got this mantra in my head sometimes. It's like, don't be lazy. So, you know, it's like you're thinking I should go to bed now. And there's some clothes that are in the dryer that are ready to be folded. And you say, I'll do that in the morning. And like I say, don't be lazy. And I take care of it. Oh, don't be lazy. Okay. Don't be lazy. So what are you going to put in your garden? So I am putting radishes. I'm going to, I bought some new radishes from Eden Brothers. They popped up with free shipping on Friday. I'm like, okay. So I bought some more radishes, even though I could easily buy those at the store. 
Um, I'm going to grow some lettuce. And I, Are you doing cherry bell? I'll do, I'm going to do cherry bell, Easter egg, French breakfast. And I think this other variety that I bought, and I'm going to kind of keep track of how they do in the fall, because, you know, we read Farmer Jones, Farmer Lee Jones talked about there are some radishes that do better in the fall versus the spring. Like anyway, the my, ones. yeah, my fall sown radishes, even though they were spring varieties, they did very well. So I'm going to kind of keep track of that. Okay. And then we talked about purple broccoli last last week. Did we talk about purple broccoli on the show or offline? I think we talked offline about it because we were discussing this week's book and she talked okay. about it. So I'm going to get some, per- I, I have ordered purple sprouting broccoli seeds and I'm going to see if I can get some of those. I'll probably start them in a little flat indoors and then transplant them out there and wish them the best um, and see where they grow. Because I, I was kind of inspired by the book we got this week to review. Really? That's awesome. Good. And then what else? You got one more. No, I said radishes, lettuce. I'm going to just sow old lettuce seed. Okay. See what happens. Cool. I'm going to sow turnips and I'm going to do purple top because they do the best here and they're easiest. I'm going to do fall watermelon radishes because I've had those a couple of times and just loved them and they're pretty. And then I'm probably going to do lettuce because lettuce is easy and maybe some Asian vegetables because I was actually inspired by Gardener's World where they talked about doing Asian vegetables and how they can handle a lot of heat. And I always have heat at the beginning of fall. And I forgot to mention earlier that I went and cleaned out my cold frames. I have two cold frames that are four by four. And I cleaned them out while I was standing out there because they look so bad. And then I topped them off with compost. And that's where I'm going to sow the lettuce and the radishes for sure, because it'll give them a little coverage. I should build myself a little cold frame somewhere. You should. They're not hard. And, um, you know, they're pretty easy. And actually, on last week's Gardener's World, I didn't watch the whole episode. I got bored. Sorry. But I I know, odd, right? But But the best part of the show, I thought, was they went and talked to an engineer. And he figured out how to grow the most vegetables because he's an engineer. And he did all these spreadsheets. And I thought of you. Because even though you're not an engineer, you you're much more scientifically minded than I am. Perhaps. Now, I do want you to tell our listeners what Asian vegetables, what do you mean by Asian vegetables? Well, I don't remember what she was sowing, but I usually grow bok choy because I like bok choy and I like tatsoi. And that's probably it for this year. She was growing a whole range of them, but I'll probably grow bok choy and tatsoi. That's it. Yeah, I, I think of um, all the different greens that are more closely related to cabbages than they are to lettuces. That's what I think of when I think of the Asian vegetables. Right. They're usually in the mustard family or cabbages, one of the two. And yes. um, interestingly, I think botanical interests, I mean, I'm just doing this off by, you know, top of my head, but I think botanical interests actually has an Asian green mix that if you just want to do kind of a mescaline, I think I know they carry a lot of Asian greens, as does Baker Creek. They both do, but and I think Eden Brothers does too. So, it Carol's looking up right now to see if I'm right about the Asian green mix. Yes, yes, they have uh, bok choy. Well, let's see, 
uh, Chinese broccoli. Mm-hmm. They have a just a series, uh, right? Umami Asian blend microgreens. There you go. That's there what I was go. thinking of. So that's kind of a cute name for it, umami, but whatever. Okay. So All do right. you want to move right into our next quote for the bookshelf because it inspired you so much? Because it did not inspire me and I was very disappointed that it didn't. Fine words, butter no parsnips. It didn't butter my parsnips. And we don't know who said that. All right. So on the bookshelf is A Year in the Edible Garden by Sarah Raven. I am a huge Sarah Raven fan. Huge. <clears throat> so go. So here's the thing. I like the way she split her year into two halves. Right. May through September, which is the basic growing season. Mm-hmm. And then October through April, which is a bit more challenging in the garden, especially where I'm at, where winter can be absolutely brutal unless it you can had be cold frames. Here too. Yes. Cold frames are a greenhouse. You're really not going to, and you know, you're picking a few greens. Right. At best. Um, I like what she said. She likes her gardens to be jam-packed with flowers, form, and color, and has to produce lots of delicious, fresh, and homegrown food. And so here's the thing that I like about the book, and I understand it's, it's British, so one must translate. Right. I thought the photography was beautiful, mm-hmm. and I think there's just a lot of different topics in here that kind of make you sit back and think, hmm, okay, how could I try that? In my garden. It helps if you live in the UK. Yeah. Now I'm a sucker for these books that go, you know, January, February, March, April, May. You You know, I'm a sucker for those. This one goes in that thing. And so when I look at it, I think, okay, you know, we've already talked about differences in tomato growing. Like, you know, they sometimes have to put them in greenhouses to get them to ripen. But anyway, it's a pretty book. I like it's it. It's a beautiful book. Here's my two disappointments with it. Um, I, well, just really one. I didn't like the fact that they used all old pictures of her because I think one of the things that is really, I mean, she's had a very long career in the florist industry, in the cut flower industry, the wedding industry, and also in edible foods. Um, right. I think one of the things I admire about her is her is that she's doing a bunch of videos now on Instagram. So I don't understand why they only used old photos. I mean, it's cheaper to do that. So that's probably why. But because I kept looking at the book and going, when is this book published? What was published like last year, right? Or 2021? I'm looking at it right now. It's 2023. It's published this year. It's brand new. All right. So it bothered me that they made her look like she was 35 through the whole thing. And I was like, that's not, that's not true. She's about my age. She's about 60. And um, you also said that you loved that the thing, the two things she wanted from her gardens, that it's jam packed with flowers, form and color, and also produces lots of food. And I said, of course she does, because she started out as a florist. And well, <laughs> yes. Yeah. The, the the pictures are quite beautiful. They are. But I do have to remember, and that maybe this is a disclaimer about the book. She has help. She has a lot of help. And they she have does. two, they have two different places. They have Sissinghurst. And Wave Hill, right? Don't they have two places? It's, it's not Wave. It's Perch Hill. Perch Hill. I'm sorry. Wave Hill is a different gardener. Um, Perch Hill. And so 
Yeah, of course she has help because there's no way she could keep up with all of that and also do her cut flower business and film videos. And, you know, I mean, she's a professional. So there's that. Um, I think that the pictures of the food in it are fabulous, but also we have a book. I don't know if we're going to do it next week, but she's also a British gardener and she, and I'm holding it up to show Carol. And this is another yes. one I found at the library and I kind of like to do it next week because it's also about the same topic of creatively doing vegetable gardening. So, and then we've got to start doing some of the books that have been sent to us. I just think it's an interesting contrast to this book. I'm not, and I'm not picking on this book. The book's good. Yes. The you book just is need good. To remember we don't live in England and it's cold here. So there yeah. are things we can't do that they can do. So maybe our recommendation is to do like we did and get the book out of the library a year in the edible garden. Yeah. And maybe get it out in January to be inspired to get started earlier mm-hmm. than you would normally get started and to try to extend the season, which we are trying to extend our seasons. Maybe that's what we should recommend. I think that's the best recommendation. And then go watch some of her videos that she's doing now. I mean, she knows a lot about winter sewing. She knows a lot about sewing under lights and in greenhouses. She knows a lot of things. She's very smart. She is. So that's A Year in the Edible Garden, a month-by-month guide to growing and harvesting vegetables, herbs, and edible flowers by Sarah Raven. Photographs by Jonathan Buckley. They are pretty. Want me to do the next very quote? Pretty. Yes. To be overcome by the fragrance of flowers is a delectable form of defeat. Beverly Nichols. I love that one, but I love Beverly that Nichols. Is, that, yes, he is He is quite the writer from the past. He is, and just a light to read, you know, funny. You found the dirt. Go for it. Okay, so the dirt actually came from last week's book, which was Grow and Gather. For some reason, it says Grow and Garden in our notes. I think I was like too tired when I did some of these by Grace Alexander. And she talked about something called Korean natural farming and it's, uh, and its initials are KNF and it's an organic agricultural method that takes advantage of indigenous. That's what's important. Indigenous microorganisms, including bacteria, fungi, nematodes, and protozoa to produce rich soil that yields high output without the use of herbicides or pesticides. And what really, it it also uses fermented plant juices, which of course is a big deal in England because what is the name of that plant that they use that they constantly talk about? I did. I brought in notes and everything. A plant they use that they constantly talk about? Comfrey? Yeah, comfrey. Yeah, comfrey tea. That's a good example of it. And also something called cultured lactic acid bacteria. And so if you want to learn more about Korean natural farming, there's a lot of stuff online about it. Um, But what made me think about it is I was really excited one time because uh, fertilizer I had had mycorrhizae in it. This was back when that very first started. Okay. Right. And Steve Owens had Bustani Plant Farm. We were talking about something and he said, it's important that it be the mycorrhizae that naturally occurs here. And that really stuck with me. He's not saying that that's necessarily bad that it had it in there. He was just saying, I would want to know if it's one that naturally also occurs here. And, and that's what Korean natural farming 
really promotes. So cool. very interesting topic. That is an interesting topic. I, I am going to look up more about it because I will tell you, soil, the more I garden, the more I look at other people's gardens, the more I would like to apologize to my <laughs> soil science professor for not being just a little bit more excited by that class. If I took it today, I would be in the front row sucking it all in, but that's a blog post that I plan to write later today. I will do a quote now to take us into our rabbit holes. It's all about the soil. More grows in a garden than was sown there. And that's an English proverb. And And all of our quotes today came from this little tiny book. And when I say tiny, I mean two inches by two inches. It is called Garden Proverbs, collected and edited by Terry Berger, 1994. And then I found it when I was cleaning out a nightstand drawer. I found it and I thought, ooh, I need to add this to my book database. And ooh, look at the pretty quotes we found. They are good quotes. Good job. So do you want me to do my rabbit hole first? Because mine is shorter than yours. Okay. So my rabbit hole was that show I talked about already from the source on Discovery Plus. And I liked it. Um, I watched season one a while back and I only watched one episode, which was about honey. But then this season, she went to visit. She had me at Wild Boar Farms, which is where they make um, new varieties of tomatoes. And then White Oak Pastures, which was a regenerative farm for beef that we've talked about before. And also Rancho Gordo. And so Rancho Gordo is beans. You and I have talked about all of these places on our podcast. So we are ahead of our time. We are. And when you said you had this dirt, I'm reminded, and I think I've talked about this before. There's an old Martha Stewart episode. I'm going to say it might be from the 90s um, where she talked about how she sourced all the all the stuff for her BLT, her bacon tomato sandwich. I mean, it's like sourdough from sourdough bread from San Francisco and bacon from special pigs in Vermont. I'm guessing the lettuce and tomatoes came from her own garden. garden. Mm -hmm. Homemade mayo, none of this Dukes versus Hellman's crap. And anyway, (laughs) I I do think it's important these days to know where your food comes from or where it came from. Yeah. The more local you can make it, the better. Yeah. I think I'm excited that everything is becoming more and more local. And I grow quite a few uh, tomatoes or have grown quite a few tomatoes from wild boar farms. And I grow them from seed because you can get the seeds various places. And I've grown um, Brad's black heart, which is a heart shaped tomato that's purple. Um, I've just grown a bunch of them. And now he is still working on more and more tomatoes. And that was the best episode. You should go watch it if you can find it somewhere. Because they did a big taste test. They named a new tomato that he was thinking about using. She brought in another chef and they made him a whole meal um, of tomato, different things with tomatoes. And they made a gazpacho that was from yellow tomatoes. So some really, really wonderful tomatoes, good tasting um, and beautiful. So anyway, now let's do yours. Yours is weird. So the algorithm served me up and I don't know why. Maybe I looked at one too many posts about UFOs or aliens, <laughs> space aliens. You know, there's a new movie coming out called Jules 
that looks interesting. But anyway, it served me up the green children of Woolpit. And so <laughs> this is a legend that goes back to the 12th century where there were two children, a boy and a girl, who apparently appeared out of nowhere near the English village of Woolpit in Suffolk. And for those who don't know, it's a large village in northern Suffolk. It's Suffolk. Halfway between Suffolk. There's no way. I knew I'd say that wrong. Yeah, it's hard. Their words are hard. Anyway, which explains why it's called Woolpit. It has nothing to do with wool. It has nothing to do with wool. But anyway, that that village is halfway between Stowe Market and Bury St. Edmunds. Bury mm-hmm. St. Edmunds. Mm-hmm. And the, the term for Woolpit is it's a takeoff of Old English Wolf Pit which was a pit that they dug for trapping wolves. Yeah. Anyway, according to the legend in wool pit, wool pit, these two green children appeared out of nowhere. Their skin they, was they green. Had, their skin was green. They didn't speak English for a couple of days. They offered them food and they wouldn't eat anything until they were given green beans. Whoops. We're back to our beans again, D. I don't know how we've managed to do this. And I think maybe you should write the newsletter because you're the only one who can come up with a title that ties all this together. But keep going on your green children. So so anyway, the legend was they, they baptized the two children. The boy died shortly after, but the girl was taught English. And when she learned enough English, she said that they had come from an underground realm called St. Martin's Land. (laughs) <laughs> where all the inhabitants are green. And she said she and her brother were herding their flocks one day when they came upon a cave. They followed the cave, began to explore, and at length they emerged into the sunlight where they found were found by these villagers. I don't believe a word of that part, but yeah. So I do believe there were green children, though. There were several theories as to where these children came from. One was that they were uh, suffering from arsenic poisoning, which apparently turns your screen skin green, and somebody had left them there. Um, the other thing was that they were malnourished, and there's something that if you don't have the right nutrients, your skin can turn green. It's called it's green like sickness. those blue people of Kentucky, you know, that have well, that yeah. other thing. Okay, keep going. So, and then of course, there's this theory that they were space aliens. They are not space anyway. aliens. So they were taken in by a local rich guy named Richard DeCown. And like I said, the boy died, but the girl they named Agnes and she grew up and went on to live a quote unquote normal life. And over time, her skin became a normal color. Um, And then there are some theories that said that she was became sort of a loose woman. Anyway, the other theory is that they were uh, the children of Flemish immigrants who had gotten lost, which is the most boring. Anyway. (laughs) So the Green Children of Woolpit, which apparently is quite famous in England, and this is the first I've heard of it. (laughs) I've never heard of it either. (laughs) So what are you doing in your garden this week? So I I do have six bags of potatoes out there, and there's those vines. I've neglected them, sadly. The vines are dying off and stuff, and I thought, I'm just going to harvest all of them. Most of them are fingerling potatoes and red potatoes, so... I'll pick more veggies, new, more weeding, weed, mowing and trimming. Probably going to write about soil, like I said. That's pretty much it. So I had a pathetic potato harvest, too, because I kind of ignored mine, too. But they were fabulous. I harvested them. They were delicious. And we ate them as fingerlings with our green beans. Um, I'm going to do more weeding while it's cooler. And I'm going to take more photos of butterflies. And I might write about butterflies again. Maybe. 
That all sounds really good. Well, let's wrap up this episode on a more serious note. Thank you for listening to The Garden Angelus. I hope you've hit that subscribe button so you don't miss a single episode. We publish every week on Wednesdays at 12 a.m. Eastern Time. If you listen to Apple Podcasts, we'd love a five-star review. That helps us get noticed by others. Could you also share our podcast with your friends? Maybe not this episode. Word of mouth is still the best way to get the word out there. I think this has been a fine episode, D. Be sure and check out our show notes for links for more information about today's topics, plus links to our own websites. And subscribe to our Substack newsletter, The Garden Angelus at Substack.com. Also linked to in our show notes. If you do, you'll get a link to listen to the podcast a day early. And if you want to help support us, use those affiliate links. If you buy something after clicking through on them, we're in a small commission and it costs you nothing. Or you can set up a monthly subscription through Buzzsprout or make a one-time donation through PayPal. It was lovely to chat with all of you over the garden gate this week. Bye until next week. Bye, everybody.